Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Perception Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Partridge. In this episode, I talk to the visual storyteller, artist and photographer, Henry T. We examine the subject of otherness, identity and belonging, and Henry describes their first meeting with their birth parents. Please join me as we look at life through a different lens. Henry was born in June 1987 in a small German town in Saxony-Anhalt and soon after birth, adopted by very loving parents. Henry started their photographic journey when they were seven years old, running around the school playground with a point-and-shoot camera that was replaced by their first Canon single reflex camera, which Henry used to document their teenage friends. After school, Henry tried many different paths, discovering that life for them was about self-learning and exploring. So, Henry, hello and welcome. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. Hello, hello. I'm really excited. Ah, brilliant. Um, now, I want to start at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. <laughs> um and um, as this is a podcast about perception, I want to ask you about, well, I'd like for you to tell the listeners about yourself. So I'm not going to say very much, but I'd like to ask you, how did you perceive yourself growing up? That's such an interesting question. Because um, do we really think about how we perceive ourselves when we're children? Are we, you know... Or are we just running mm. around being ourselves? And thinking about that now, in hindsight, that might be, you know, coming through a filter of adulthood. I don't know. But um, I think I was quite a rebellious child, teenager. Not in the way that, you know, I don't know. I was still like um, going like the normal path, you know, doing the school thing and all that kind of stuff. But like my mom always keeps telling me that, um, yeah, I knew everything better. Basically, mm -hmm. I always had the last word. Um, I was that kind of child, you know, like not really fitting in, okay, uh, in the world, and um, but also not knowing why, mm. because you know we don't know that at that age. I think we just know, like you know, um, these children are like that, and I'm just uh, different. Um, I, you know, felt my queerness for a very young age. Um, I had, a, you know, tattoo. I was the first person at a tattoo at school. I was still very good at school. You know, people just didn't know how to, to deal with me. And that, you know, I don't know if I, um, knew that at that time about myself, that I was, you know, just so different. It's just, I could feel I'm just not fitting. Yeah. To explain that in any other way so so it was a feeling of of yeah dis being displaced or not really displaced but just like a place of you know questioning um like for example i'm i'm only just a child but um i want to be taken seriously yeah. I, have, I have some opinion here in this world yeah you know that might be different to um to what the, the whole world is about or people, you know, have made that construct what the world is. And, and I think a child knows when it's like different and might have a better idea of how to do things. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I was very opinionated from a very. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I think I was in that gang too. <laughs> so with this feeling of, so you had this feeling of of being different. Um, I think you mentioned we talked earlier about you and your physicality as well. You said. You said that as a child, you were you had a, a kind of a non-conforming as well as a non-conforming mind. Your body didn't <laughs> seem to to want to conform. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. My body was a bit weird when I was younger, I kind of grew out of that uh, almost completely, but I kind of was born and I had this like curled spine. I think you call it scolio- scoliosis. In scoliosis. Yeah. yeah. And. Um, my my um, pelvis is not level and I had these X-crossed legs, you know, when they turn in from the hips and my, my feet were, were a bit weird and I had to do lots of like orthopedic swimming and stuff like that. Um, not that I suffered from that, but it was a whole process to go through, you know, wearing these night splints um, to make my legs straight and stuff like that. So, um but yeah. that must but that must have also made you feel different from other people um as i say and i truly believe that we don't really suffer as children in terms of self perception i don't really think we think about ourselves you know about our own perception but we realize through how others treat us yeah but children can be really cruel you know and make fun and stuff like that we had like a um, like a fashion show at school and there was like, you know, we had to model some like summer outfits. I was like, how old was I? 10 or something. And um, I wore these shorts and I walked down the runway, you know, and I felt good about myself. But mm-hmm. then some other kids said something like, oh, um, you know, I'm using my my old name now and my old pronouns, you know, Marie, she, you know, she looks like she's disabled when she walks. Mm-hmm. And this is when I realized, wow, you know, I, there is some difference, um, yeah, that other people see that, and, and I know them because I, you know, I go swimming, I do all those things to make them better, but I don't necessarily think about them all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Children really, I don't think they really see difference. I think they, until that it's pointed out yeah, to them exactly. and, and we learn about separation through the eyes of other people yeah um and about being different through the eyes of others uh totally yeah yeah i mean it's so do you think then that you how you were perceived by others was as somebody who's different as you were as you were growing up or yeah totally and also in the way what i said earlier that um, it was not that I, you know, like, for example, I was with the cool kids all the time, you know, and stuff like that. I was still focused on the school stuff and I was very good at school. But then also on the other hand, you know, the first who tried the cigarette, the first who had a tattoo, the person that wasn't straight. So other children were just absolutely confused. They didn't know how to deal with me, you know, and that ended up in like bullying and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes um, also being good at school was the stuff that that kind of saved me. I remember like this one thing where 
um, in Spanish class. And then we had this oral test where one needed to come in front of the class and then all the classmates would, you know, shout words and you have to translate them. And they obviously tried every which way for me to fail. You know, my only way to save me was that I knew all these words. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like when you stand there and you look at those faces, you know, people that actually try to put you down, you know, and they give you lots of vocabulary and think, you know, we must find words they don't know. And you just try to be really good to kind of prove them. It's these small victories, but it's like becomes a, almost a battle, really. Yeah. Because you're battling to hold on to your autonomy and, and, and to say, well, actually, I am powerful. I am a powerful being and I'm allowed to be who I am. Yes, totally. And I was totally going for it. Like, you know, always. I never had that kind of, I never had to come out in front of myself. You know, I never had a, like a coming out because I was always the person that I was. And for, with me, that was totally fine. Mm. You know, like I didn't suffer from from being queer, even, the, you know, when I didn't know what that meant really at that age, but I didn't suffer from being different because I, for myself, knew what was right. I was also very about, much about, um, you know, justice and, yeah. you know, yeah. helping other people out. Like, you know, when new kids come into the class and you're like, yeah, you can sit next to me because, you know, they are isolated and lonely and you want to make them feel welcome, you know, and my, my classmates just didn't, yeah, it was re- it was weird. Yeah, as you can hear, probably I didn't enjoy school very yeah. much. Well, I think <laughs> it's that that thing, isn't it, about being empathetic and yeah. understanding and seeing somebody else who may be in that position because you have been in that position and reaching out to them and showing them that actually it's okay. I mean, I'm one of those you know, one of those, yeah, justice. <laughs> I want justice. Really you know, it's really important. And and also feel protective of people who maybe can't protect themselves, whether they want protection or not. But I feel empathetic towards them. So I completely understand what you're saying. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because of all these experiences, they make us who we are now. And so who do you how do you describe yourself now? Who do you perceive yourself to be now? Who do you see yourself as? Because we, again, when we talked earlier, you did say, um, you did mention about this certain fluidity that you, that you feel in yourself. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, so I came out, um, to my parents when I was like 11, I think. And, you know, I, when then you obviously, you know, you're called like lesbian behind the, you know, Mm. and I never, I never, um, felt, uh, comfortable with that word. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not a lesbian, but then also because in, in Germany, we just don't have, um, our language is so gendered you know, um, now living in the UK, um, and then hearing the word non-binary for the first time, Mm. you know, like 
roughly like you know seven eight years ago I actually realized yeah because I'm actually not a woman yeah and that's why I'm not a lesbian um because I'm just a human human so um yeah but that came with um being an adult and learning another language actually that I knew how to describe myself better wow that makes sense yeah no that's really interesting because you don't really you don't really consider that that wasn't so until you said then talking about really gendered language german french it's yeah. really gendered um really gendered i mean i remember when um i was like maybe 13 and then there was the talk in germany about um having another passport option that you can have like no actually they were talking about um that <clears throat> english speaking countries are going to include mx instead of mr and mrs oh okay and back then i was like oh if i could do that in in germany you know, you know i would do that immediately so back then i had like an idea of who i was because i never felt like female or male i felt more like you know a little warrior because I was always <laughs> really tall and broad-shouldered. Um, yeah, I had this, like, in my perception, this warrior body um, that didn't fit within the, you know, the female. And um, But I also didn't feel like, like a man. So, yeah. And as I said, and then moving to the UK and getting all that language, you know, I realized, oh, yeah, non-binary. Yeah, non-binary. Non-binary, it's, it's, it's such an interesting term. And also in terms of what it covers and, and I suppose, do you find it limiting at all in any way? Do you find it? Um, I actually don't really use it anymore. Even I actually use trans. I only use non-binary in a certain context to you know for people for them to, to that it makes more sense but mm-hmm. i actually don't use non-binary anymore because um for me the binary is the construct yeah if we have the binary we then have to find a word for what's other than binary and i actually don't agree with that you know like the world for me is like trans is the default um and then we have a non-trans which is yeah <laughs> And I don't yeah. want to use a word that, like non-binary that has been invented by the same people that invented this construct, which is the binary. So I'm for me, trans is my default. This is why, okay. because transsexual, trans from the word doesn't mean we leave one side and we arrive at the other. Trans just yeah. means we are just floating in between. Yeah, so. yeah. It's a really important point because I think trans can mean lots of things to different people as many words can but you, the point that you make about binary and non-binary it is very black white you yeah. know that and there's 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 no concession to all the gray in between yeah um which i think is a really important really important thing yeah. um so yeah i'm i'm using like trans and then binary trans for someone who you know does more of a transitional journey yeah yeah so i 
um, yeah, so to say. And then also what I've learned, you know, since you were asking the question, how I perceive myself now, um, I'm also highly sensitive. Yeah. And um, knowing that as a child would have probably helped me yeah. you know, a lot to, because my brain just processes things um, differently and I feel and think really deeply. Um, and that's why I think justice has always been so important to me. Um, yeah. I would also say I'm AFAP, which means I'm assigned female at birth. Okay. Yeah. That's also like, you know, if we want to use, uh, labels, this is the label. Well, yeah. this is the thing, isn't it? It's, it, labels seem to just make people feel safe, don't they? I think, I think that's the point of labels, labeling people and th- I, I'm not a fan of labels. Um, and I think children get labeled very early in school. Yeah. Uh, and those labels, again, as we said, other people's perception of us creates uh, or or influences our perception of ourselves. And it takes a really long time to, for some people, to realize that they're not what they perceive them, that what they've been told they are. Yeah. And to allow their actual authentic selves to emerge uh i think is quite that's trans too (laughs) you know people are people are transforming yes Yes. um and i and i think um i get what you're saying about labels but i think since we are having just a few of them that are way too narrow i think we can't just but the world is not ready to go from we're having a few narrow labels to to nothing, to none. I think that doesn't no. work. But breaking those few narrow labels up into many, 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 many labels and then finally having none, I think mm. maybe that could be the way to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's our lifetime, but hopefully. Well, yeah, hopefully <laughs> we might revert back to <laughs> the childhood uh, model, which is just seeing people as yeah, people exactly. without, you know, what we were saying earlier, without having to label anybody in one particular way, uh, yeah. you know, seeing them, seeing their essence of who they are. Yeah, totally. I mean, as, uh, rather I than what they are. From those narrow labels that even children, you know, even children are brainwashed already. Otherwise, they wouldn't point out these differences to people. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's not their ideas, is it? It's the kind of ideas that we absorb from our yeah. as we grow up from yeah. mainly our main caregivers and yeah. uh, and school and our peers and what we see on social media. Um, yeah. So it's a whole combination of those things, and that's actually what I wanted to ask you as well about. You talked about being adopted. Yeah. And so the influence that your adoptive parents, how did they influence you on your journey when you were growing up? Um, it's a, it's really, yeah, that's a really deep question. Um, that is also really important to talk about actually, because 
we don't talk enough about adoption. I think yeah. it feels for for everyone involved. Um, I grew up with a lot of love. Like literally, my parents really tried to make it right in every which way, you know, and they did make mistakes, but I think that's totally normal. We're all human. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And parenting is, is a process that you learn while you're doing it. Yeah. Um, and they really tried to like support me in any way. And I don't know if that's because, you know, they couldn't have children and then suddenly it was possible um, through adoption. And then, you know, I was like the biggest gift I don't know if that influences, but, you know, probably all parents love their children in that way, um, that get children, have children naturally. Um, but, yeah, they really tried to to support me with anything that I came up with. And there was a lot, you know, from queerness to um, suddenly I was discovered on the street and I went into modeling. Um, then I didn't didn't go down the normal like study route. Then I wanted to leave the country. <laughs> like they they literally um, yeah supported me every which way they could. And it wasn't always easy. They obviously you know struggled as well with things and had t- took some time to come around. Um, but they always did eventually. And they would say now that they um, learned a great deal as well. You know that I really challenged them to think about things differently basically yeah but that's yeah 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 so um that's a wonderful thing to have parents who because you said what you didn't say but it was uh I know that you were adopted at a week old so really you have known your adoptive parents as your parents yeah totally your whole life yeah Yeah. I call them my parents and then the other two that actually, you know, gave me life. <laughs> yeah, your biological parents. Yeah, so my, you know, I call them my birth parents, basically. So I call them by their names, not by mum and dad. But um, yeah, yeah. As I said, I don't know if 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 all parents are like that because I don't. I only have that experience as being adopted. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you can't have children naturally and then you suddenly can, um, yeah, you maybe trying even harder I have no idea but they certainly did everything I think they sound your parents sound like quite extraordinary people they are extraordinary actually yeah and still still you know I needed to know where I came from that was also really important um because like until I met my parents my birth parents when I was like 16 I didn't know how that actually feels when you see someone who looks like you Yes. I had never experienced that. You know, you can you can um experience all the love and that's all amazing, but there's also something to say about genetics. Yeah. And seeing people that look like you, that have the same gestures. Mm. My my parents are so different to who I am. Um you can really tell in that way that I'm adopted not just that I look different but also the mm. whole you know um they have they have their like 40 hour jobs they like security you know they live that life and I'm an artist I like the risk you mm. know I'm, my life is all about exploring so it's totally different and when I met my birth parents and learned that my birth father used to be an artist and yeah. that um works in an agency <clears throat> for artists you know they 
they totally get my lifestyle, basically. Yeah, yeah. And seeing those tall people that look like me, it was an incredible experience, actually. Wow, it must have been because it's a sense of not so much belonging, but knowing where you came from, which I think is really important for everyone. There's, it, it makes you feel in a way rooted. There's some sort of root to root to your, to creation, you know, root to your ancestry. There's, there's that root there, which, okay. You know, it's, you, you say, uh, you know, your adoptive parents are your are, are your parents and obviously they are the ones that have brought you up and are really important in your life but again that just i think just knowing i think a lot of people who don't know who their parents are have a really strong desire to to find out, to see those people. And when did you find out? When did you, when did you meet your birth parents? Well, when I was 16, like all anonymous in Germany, like the, the birth parents are not allowed to, to search. Basically they don't get any information basically, but the child can, when they reach 18, Mm. they can. Um, And I think like, it was like when, it was in the in our biology lesson, I think, and we got some homework where the teacher said, "Go home, look at the eye color of your parents, mm. and then make an assumption about your eye color." And this is what's the first time when I thought, "Wow, I can't do that because I'm adopted." Mm-hmm. So, and then I said to my parents, um, "Would it be possible for me to meet my birth parents?" Which obviously was a shock to them. Mm. You know, because it did trigger all those insecurities, which I think yeah. is totally normal. Um, but they agreed. Um, and then I had, there is like an institution called Jugendamt for the youth mm. where you go. And then, you know, you get an assessment. And they actually said that at the age of 16, I'm mature enough to meet them. Um, and then a letter is sent out and then it gives them, you know, time to think about if they want to do that or not. Because they could also decide, that's a thing from the past, we actually don't want to meet the child. Mm-hmm. Um, but they agreed, yeah. And then we all we all met. Wow. Yeah, amazing. And, <laughs> and yeah, that that is my, Wow, Henry, that, yeah, there's a lot here. So what was your perception, your initial perception of your birth parents? Um, it was just like, I mean, we all look very similar. Like other mm. people would say that, you know, I look like a clone of both of them. Wow. And I stepped into the room and they were sitting down and then they stood up and I was like, wow. Like my parents are tiny, very cute mm. people. And my birth parents are, you know, I'm really tall and they're really tall. And then they stood up and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. You're, you're, you're as tall as I am. And to, to look into their faces and to see like my features there, it's, it's incredible. It's yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Well, it must be for something that a lot of people who have grown up with their birth families take for granted that every day you see yeah. people who look at you and then and then this great swathe of time, you know, at as a teenager, then to actually meet people who 
to meet your parents, to, to see people who look like you, to know where you're from. Yeah. Wow. To know yeah. where you're from. It's, it's, yeah, it's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. The grounding, as you said. Um, yeah. I think I got a lot calmer. Yeah. I met them. Yeah. It's a, there's a thing about, um, I think when you're adopted, you don't have that, um, mother trust that trust into the universe because yeah. you know that 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 bond you get mm -hmm. separated and of course then you have parents and they're all loving but that you know you've been into in someone's room for like nine nine months, months yeah you, know, you live with them and then suddenly they're gone um so yeah to find them again that was i think a really good thing but this is only my experience i know of other people that have met them yeah and was like, oh my God, this person is not like me at all. And I actually don't want to have anything to do with them. Yeah. You know, there is... And that's fine. And that's, that's all I wanted. And, you know, yeah. it really ends there. Yes, yeah. of course. We're, we're just talking specifically with reference to you and your experience, yeah. because yes, I do know that there, obviously there are uh, lots of different uh, reactions that, that adoptive uh, parents and and adoptive children have yeah. with their when they they search out and they they meet their birth parents um but it sounds like for you as you said it sounds like for you it was a really uh as you say uh, a moment of a moment of coming to to a place of not stillness so much, but coming to a place of calm. <laughs> calm. Yeah. Coming to a place of calm. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And, yeah. and how do you think that they perceived you when they first met you? Do you have oh, any idea? Wow. Um, I, I mean, I remember from looking into their faces, they were absolutely overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, especially my birth dad, he just didn't say anything for the two-hour meeting. He just sat there. I think he was totally overwhelmed. Um, um, yeah, it's really hard to think about how they perceive me because all I'm thinking about is how <laughs> yeah. that must feel if you actually make that decision. You can't have that child. Yeah. And then life gives you the opportunity to still have them at yeah. a later stage and how amazing that actually is, you know? Yeah. Um, I find and how, touching. And how lucky you are to have two sets of parents. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I was like, um, I think what they said to me, uh, you know, a few weeks after the meeting, they could really see that I grew up with very extroverted, bubbly, open parents. Because yeah. they are a bit introverted, you know, and I also have a have, have a brother who's very like quiet and introverted. And I'm also that, but I'm I also have a different side to me, you know, yeah. this more social side. And and you know, and and they actually admitted that it was so good for me to grow up with the parents I grew up with. Like, yeah. And because they made me the person who I am. Which Brilliant. is a thing to say. Yeah. Nature and nurture again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for talking about that because you're right. I, I don't think that we hear enough about adoption and how people feel when they 
meet their, when they have the, if, and when they have an opportunity to, uh, meet their adoptive parents. Yeah. Um, I also think, sorry to interrupt you there. No. It's also a really important point. Um, that we don't talk enough about that it's okay to give up a baby for adoption. Yeah. You know, it's the same with the the whole abortion thing. You have the right to not want a child for whatever reason. Mm. And sometimes for some people, it's not possible to have an abortion or it's too late or whatever, you know, and they can still... Um, if that's the best choice for their health and actually also for the human being that would grow up with them, then that's totally okay. And there's so much stigma and judgment around, you know, because women, they are complete when they have a child, you know, that control about um, women's bodies and all that kind of stuff. And there's so much judgment about, oh my God, about a child is the greatest thing in the world. How could you do that? You know, but Mm. for some people that's, that's, um, that's the only way. So, and, yeah. and I've always seen it that way. And I've never felt any, you know, anger towards my birth parents. I, you know, yeah. I only feel like love and, and forgiveness. And I'm, yeah. I'm just so happy with how my life turned out. And, you know, it's all meant to be. It and is. All, well, you know, right. The way it- yeah. Cause you have had an extraordinary journey with your birth parents because you said that you that from from school you you did mention that you were you were somebody came running after you and asked you to to start modeling yeah for them and yeah when was that when did that happen I think I was about I was 14 or 15 yeah that's when when someone basically actually spotted me the day before and I walk very fast. So they actually ran after those me. long legs. <laughs> yeah, they, those they, long legs. <laughs> they couldn't catch me. So, and then they saw me again the next day. I mean, I come from a, like a, you know, smallish town. So that's possible actually to meet someone again the next day. And then they were like, oh my God, now, you know, now I can finally talk to you. And um, yeah, that was quite extraordinary actually. Because as I said earlier, um, I felt like I was more like an ugly child <laughs> to, to, for someone to say, you look amazing. Would you model for me? That was such a, yeah, weird thing, actually. <laughs> well, it's incredible, isn't it? Because again, it's perception. Yeah. Again, it's this perception that you have of yourself. This is why I asked the question, you know, how did you perceive yourself? looking back obviously this is retrospectively is how did you how do you think you perceived yourself as a child and you know when you said you had this non you were non-conforming and had this non-conforming body and then that's your perception that is then kind of confirmed by behaviors of others around you yeah and then bam somebody stops you and says Oh my God, I, I, I want to sign you up. Let's let, you know, I'd love you to model. How long did you model for? Um, I think for around 10 years. Wow. Like, obviously, you know, I had to do it when I was at school and, um, yeah, I think like, so I modeled for that person for a while. That model was, uh, that person was actually part of, um, the university in my hometown. We have a really good 
university for fashion and stuff and mm-hmm. art. And um, they have like annual shows. And the nice thing is if you model for them, you actually, they do all the samples on you. So you actually yeah. experience the construction of the clothing, which I also, also find really interesting. And um, then you model them. Um, and then I thought, you know, I might be able to do that professionally. So I approached agencies um, in the country and I got one yes and that came from Berlin. So mm. I then had to travel to Berlin for castings, you know, sometimes like do a show in the evening and then travel back the next morning and then go to school. Wow. <laughs> like that. Yeah. So that was quite stressful. But then after school, I could, you know, just move to Berlin and yeah. be there. And yeah. And then I also signed an agency in Paris. Mm. And then I did a bit of modeling like between Berlin and Paris. And so this was catwalk and it was editorial and it yes. was everything yeah. actually, you know, not so much um, advertising because I just don't have that. Um, so it was always very polarizing. Like either people would really like me or not like me at all. You know, I don't have an, like an average, beautiful face, not at all. And that's why advertising was just not, you know, I have like small lips and uh, droopy eyelids. and so-, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you can't really sell anything with that. Yes, you could. Don't, don't believe it. Um, yeah, so- I would say yes, but you know, the industry also at that point, that was like, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. the objectification of, of everyone, which is still obviously going on now, but I mean, that that's again, you know, going through that, going into going into uh, a profession, going into a profession that is really based completely on what you look like, yeah, and then having a judgment from others the whole time about what you look like, yeah. crikey, it's also very gendered as well, yeah. Yeah. So how did, how were they, because we're talking a while ago, you know, how were they able to then place you if it was very gendered? Were you more an androgynous kind of? Oh, not at all, which was really weird to me, given that I have this body, you know, the wide shoulders and the small hips, this kind of V-shaped body. No, I was still putting all the femme things. Um, And I don't mind that. For me, gender is actually not, you know, you can... You can be trans and you can still rock a high femme look, you know, that's totally fine. Yeah. But with the modeling also come, come all the mannerisms and that kind of stuff. And I was still put in that kind of category, um, which was really weird, actually, because then I didn't fit the clothes because of that shape. Mm. So when, when I went to Paris for the first time, you have to go to like a big um, casting. Mm before you go to all the smaller castings, like they rule out people straight away. And normally, obviously, they would measure um, bust, waist, hips, really important. And when I came in, the first thing they measured was my shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was out because I would fit um, everything else, you know, but I couldn't fit like a small shirt because my shoulders would get in the way. Yeah. So stuff like that. But nobody thought about putting me into men's clothing for some reason. That's so interesting. But then I still had long hair at that point. Now I've short hair. Maybe that, 
Yeah, my hair was lo- lo- long down to my hips. Wow! <laughs> yeah. Oh, you blowed my mind. Like a I can't. Different person. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Life in a way. And and so also at this point you were you were you were viewing yourself still as this gender fluid person as. Yeah, I mean, like when it started, not so much because I was still living in Germany and I would go to school and, um, you know, as I said, I knew I would, you know, mm. I'm, I'm just a human basically, but I didn't have the language back then to properly dis- mm. describe myself and identify myself. So, um, and also you feel it's all very exciting, you know, when you start, it's, and you just go with it. You just try to trust the people that manage you and you just go with it, you know, and you think it, it has to be that way. You, you, you join the whole machinery. You know, you go, you, you go to Paris, you live in a shitty apartment, you go to 17 castings a day where you're not even looked at sometimes, you know, carry your high heels in your bag and then step into your shoes and you go in or you wait two hours and somebody looks at you for three seconds. You, you think that it's somehow okay, even if it's, mm. actually, you know, and you realize with, with the years and also you, I wasn't like proper successful. You have to make a lot of money for all the outgoings um, to properly make it. And if you don't, then it's just a proper hustle. You know, it's not glamorous at all. No. No, so you realize more and more it's it's actually not a good a good place to be. Yeah. 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 And so well, yeah. And so when that finished, were you did you then did you then think about art or were you thinking about art throughout that period, you know, uh, working as an artist as a as a creator, as a photographer, were you were you picking up things from that during that period? Um, no, not really, to be honest. I didn't see myself as an artist at ah. all back then. And I, because I also grew up with amazingly creative people. Like my best friend at school was so creative and she could do anything. Mm. Um, and then uh, later on, I had a partner and she was an amazing photographer, you know, so I was surrounded by people being really creative, but I would never have thought of myself, you know, to be an artist. I did many different things while I was modeling. Like I, I um, did some styling and I, like I worked in many different fields, you know, mm. in a product studio and stuff like that and, and photo assisting, but I never made that that link that I could be actually the one behind the camera. Like, mm. even though I had the cameras in my childhood and stuff like that. Um, but after like photographing all my, my teenage years, I kind of, you know, put the camera away. Um, and so then when did you go back to the camera? When did you go back? So I s- remember I stopped modeling when I was about maybe 26. I think, or 25. Um, Yeah, and this was when I was with this person who is an amazing photographer, like does it as a hobby. Um, And we started to do projects together. 
and mm. I would not direct and sometimes be so controlling <laughs> that at some point she said, why don't you just do it yourself? Use the camera. <laughs> Leave, leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, then this is when I picked up a camera again. And then I did the whole, you know, analog journey with learning about the darkroom and and stuff. Um, Yeah, I thought for a while it's going to be fashion photography um, Mm. because I was coming, you know, had that background. But then actually realized, no, I don't want to photograph models. I'm not interested in that at all. I'm interested in like real people. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. evolved from, from there really. And then it really took off when I came, when I came to London, like I was not happy in, in Berlin and in Germany at all. It's a very different scene. And um, when I was about 27, 28, I got really, really depressed. And then I just booked a ticket with no return packed a bag and went to London. Yeah. This is how, yeah, how it all started. And then, yeah. You ran, you ran away to the circus. I literally yeah. ran away. Like yeah. I had a five day hostel booked. That was it. Nothing else. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. There's a whole nother story as well. We'll have to do another, another episode on that. So and then, yeah, the whole artist thing started here. In London. That's that's fantastic. And how long have you been in London? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. And and so you're primarily you your your medium is primarily photography. It is now. I work with um moving image sometimes yeah. and I want to do more of that, but you know, life is already very stressful. So yeah. I'm just yeah. I'm very, very like excitable and enthusiastic and ambitious and sometimes I need to pace myself a little bit yeah um and I also dance so I use performance sometimes as well but it's mainly photography it's mainly photography because yes I have seen it I was lucky enough to uh to go to your exhibition at uh Lee Miller's house in uh Chidding Lai um and to see your work and I have to say I was so, your work is so, as I was saying, as we, in a previous discussion, it's so, it's not just beautiful. It's really, the images are so atmospheric. They're so, I mean, they're, they're very theatrical. They're really atmospheric and they, and you can feel yourself standing in the room with the model. You know, it does all the subjects, I should say, or you feel yourself, you feel as though you're part of the story when you look at those, when you look at those photographs, you feel as though, yeah, no, it's completely, you feel as though you're part of the story. And, and it just struck me. It's like, what, what are you, is that what you're trying to say through your work, through the subject matter, composition, the models you choose? What, what is it that you're trying to convey? What is it that you're trying to, to, I suppose, instill into the viewer? If anything, I don't know. Um, it's, um, yeah, that's also a really interesting question. Um, yeah, it's creating visibility 
for those that are not as visible, creating visibility for um, for topics that are really important, like you know, family and chosen family and relating, belonging, because that's just a big part in my life in different ways. Yeah. But then I don't do that through you know just normal portraits or like documentary photography. It's more like um, I stage my own projects, like people wear almost historical clothing yeah. um, and are put in in places where the viewer is like, is that their home? Is that, you know, staged? Um, it's, it's always a bit surreal and it always has an historical touch because I just want to make the point that um, these issues were always there. Yeah. You know, only if we just talk about them now or we have been talking about them for the past 50, 100 years, they've always been there. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, because they are very, they do have, they do have, uh, as I say, a theatrical and historical feel to them. Yeah. And it's also staged because we have so many social constructs and gender is a construct. So yeah. kind of a translation of that, you know, so I'm staging my stuff as well. It's, it's part performance, but then also it's not because I'm using, I'm using performers and I'm using friends a lot. Um, so a mix of people who know how to perform and who don't. And it's also about how they react to being put in those clothes or um, act together with the other, other people they don't know or stuff like that, you know, so yeah, it's an interesting mix between the staged and the and but what just comes naturally. Mm. Mm. And you you can definitely see and feel that looking at your photographs. As I say, that they, they do have a really beautiful quality. A really there are a lot of them that are very tender. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a a feeling of there's a feeling of vulnerability actually yeah, but that's in, so important yeah totally my goodness because as the viewer you can then and this goes back to what we were saying earlier as the viewer you can then empathize because you have been there you reach out you reach into oh, absolutely and this is also because i or let's say um I chose my name mm. actually in that way as well. So Henry is actually a short version of Henrietta. Mm. And that's a name that my birth parents gave me. And T is a short version for the surname they actually have. I don't carry that surname because mm. I grew up with my adoptive parents. Um, so I thought I'm going by Henry T because... I, you know, I don't expect anyone to open up in my photography, but it would be nice, you know, and I, it's very um, brave to step in front of a camera. So I want their trust. So I'm also acknowledging everything and that I am mm. with that name, because I'm kind of looking into their soul, you know, and I want yeah. them to open up and be vulnerable. So I do the same. That's why I chose the name Henry T. Yeah. For me, that's that's very important to to look into the soul. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. 
fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and where can people see your work at the moment? Is, has the exhibition it's at... still, on. It's still oh. on until the 11th of September. Oh, can you tell us the details? Um, Farley's house in Chiddinglai. It's where the amazing photographer Lee Miller lived with her painter husband, Roland Penrose. It's yeah. an amazing, it's very remote, like it's literally in the middle of nowhere, but it's this amazing house and garden. Yeah, yeah I've been there. I can vouch for that. <laughs> and they always have um, works of Lee hanging there. And yeah. then two months they have like an emerging artist um, to support them. It's it's amazing. Yeah, It is amazing. The house is open on Thursday and Sunday. And what is the, what is your exhibition called? It's us then and now taking up space. Us then and now taking up space. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Henry, Henry T, thank you so much. It has been such a tonic, a joy and a, and a pleasure speaking to you today. And I'd like to, uh, to do another um, episode where we continue our conversation because um, I think there's a lot more to say and it's really, uh, really interesting what you've said. So fascinating what you've said so far. Um, and yeah, I'd just like to thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, thank you. you. It was really yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. It's also really nice to open up and share these things that are quite personal but I think they're just important topics to talk about. Well, well, this is it. I think that asking you in to, 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 or asking you on rather to, to speak is, is something I wanted to do to help listeners maybe shift their perception or maybe shift their perspective or broaden perspectives or, alter perceptions. Um, and that's my intention through talking to people about their lived experience um, of how to do it because stories are how we learn. Yeah, totally. And uh, it's been really great hearing yours. And, and I just want to also thank all the listeners, all the millions of listeners <laughs> out there. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. want listen no millions. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. And um and yes, please like, subscribe, comment, uh, and also let me know what else you'd like to hear. Um yeah. Uh, and Henry, I will put all the links to you where people can see your work. Um, and find more about you, find out more about you in the show notes. And um, yeah, and I just want to say thank you again. Oh, thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.